Hey everybody, it's Justin Shackle. Welcome you to episode 34 of Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. We look into the art of pitching every single week with the five-time World Series champ, the signing award winner, David Cohn, the ace researcher, James Smythe, and myself. And we are one month into the 2022 baseball season. We're going to discuss what a full month of pitching has told us so far and what to expect moving forward. David, James... How are you guys doing? How are your weekends? Good. We did great, man. I mean, you're right. We're, we're rolling. We had a little washout on, on the East Coast, right? And now James has got to work like 49 straight games in a row, I guess. And so, uh, yeah, but it's all good. We're, we're, we're off and rolling. 23 to 22. 23 games in 22 days. But uh, it was nice to have a, a somewhat normal weekend with a couple of washouts. Yeah, uh, Friday, Saturday for the Yankees, both washed out, but now they're in a pretty laborious stretch. And we're going to talk about some big stretches for the Yankees and the Dodgers. They're in a similar stretch, but the two teams with great pitching staffs top to bottom to start the season. We're going to dive into that a little bit later on. We have a lot to cover this week that generally revolves around this one month sample size here. So let's get right into it. But before we do, quick reminder. This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. It is the most trusted sports card seller on the planet. Now, why is that? It's because Greg Morris Cards has a ridiculous track record. They sell over 80,000 sports cards every single month exclusively on eBay. They sold over a million cards in 2021 alone. This month only, when you check out, send them a message through eBay saying that you heard about GMC through John Boy and get five bucks off your order of 50 bucks or more. GMC is known for its vintage cards, but they also have all the top players in the game today. The Otanis, the Judges, Trout, Harper, Soto, and they also have all the young stars that David's talked about. The Bobby Witts, the Spencer Torkelsons, Wander Franco, so they have those guys as well. Why do people trust GMC for buying cards specifically? It's because Greg and his team hand grade Every single card that they sell. So buyers have been trusting Greg's grades for years. If Greg says the card is mint, you know the card's mint. Go to gregmorriscards.com to see their inventory. Follow GMC all over social media. See the exclusive content and deals. You get free combined shipping when you order two or more cards. And again, during the month of May, when you check out, send them a message through eBay saying that you heard about GMC through John Boy and get $5 off your order of $50 or more. So a lot of information to get to here. Three up, three down this week in pitching history. But first, David, it is the opener. What do you have for us? Well, it's interesting to me, you know, we, we, we tend to be a little, you know, have a bias for the East coast. We're on the East coast. It's, you know, the Mets, new ownership, Yankees, the battle for New York, everybody's talking subway series, but to me, it's the bi-coastal nature of the, the, the fast starts. You go back to the West coast and, yeah, the Dodgers, everybody, oh, yeah, the Dodgers, what a great team. They're loaded, you know, tremendous resources, tremendous talent. Well, okay, we know who's going to be the best team in New York. Legitimate argument. We Mets fans, Yankee fans, who's the best team in L.A.? <laughs> I mean, you know, are we going to – is it time to start talking about that? Of course, the Dodgers are, are the front runners, but the Angels are making noise. They're for real. Uh, is this the year? Mike Trout? You know, finally gets a, gets a chance to get on the national stage. I find it interesting. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give the Dodgers their due. They're fantastic, but watch out. The Angels are right in the rearview mirror on the West Coast. So, yeah, it's New York and L.A. It's that kind of year so far. 
You know, it was interesting because the Angels are playing the Rays right now. Pretty good series out in Anaheim. But on Monday night, you had a lot of offense from a lot of the guys that the Angels are depending on this year. You had Mike Trout homer. You had Shohei Otani homer twice, hit a grand slam. Jared Walsh homered as well. It felt like when people say, oh, man, when the Yankees have Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton homer in the same game, it's a really special thing. That on Monday night felt really cool. It felt like the guys who are going to be dependent on Jared Walsh, kind of a breakout star so far one month through the season, but it just felt like the guys that are going to be dependent if the Angels are able to hit their way to AL West contention, those are the guys that came through against a really good raised team last night. So if they can kind of sustain this, it is going to make it interesting. And that debate if you want to, you know, get Dodger fans salty here, obviously they're they're putting up the stats. They have the evidence, top to bottom, one of the best pitching staffs in the game. We're going to break down both pitching staffs in a little bit, but from a team-wide aspect, Angels are pretty exciting to watch. They are. James, I know I wanted to ask you, did you see Otani at Fenway Park, that game he pitched? It was one of the best games I think I've ever seen pitched. He he threw strike after strike. I think I had, he had over 80 strikes out of 90-something pitches. He completely was was dominant the, the whole game. One of the best games. I, I, I was just blown away by Otani in that effort. Yeah, it was classic Otani. And, and, then, and then he's at the plate, and he knocks his own number off of the scoreboard, <laughs> clanging one off the monster. But how cool was it to see Trout and Otani go back-to-back on Monday night against the Rays? Yeah. Um, the, the, that game was high scoring, obviously, but – they, they got some mashers there. If they could stay healthy, the middle of that lineup is as good as any lineup in the game. Um, let's And we're going to come back to the Angels and the Dodgers in a hot minute here. But let's start off with something I find pretty interesting when you look at the top of the AL leaderboard in pitching. And this goes back to what we have learned about pitching after one month of the season. What is the most important story in regards to pitching after a month of games? What do you guys think? You know, once again, here we go. Our, our, our bias is going to show up, but just because of the story behind Nestor Cortez and where he was, where he came from, we've told it, James, you, you, you've told it and broke it down and all the, all the, uh, you know, the, the trials and tribulations, I guess, of, of Nestor Cortez, 36 round draft choice, Bounced around, off-season jobs, had to play winter ball. He's just, you know, uh, out of nowhere almost. So his story, his background to me, uh, just remarkable. It bears repeating. I know we cover the Yankees. It's a little bit of bias there. Logan Gilbert, love him. He, he's for real. Uh, but Nestor Cortez is the story right now, just uh, because of his personal story. In a, in a larger zoomed-out sense, uh, scoring being down in general, uh, more than you would expect just because it's the first month of the season. Scoring is usually lower and then it goes up. But this is a big step down so far on an individual level. How, how can you not love Nestor Cortez uh, taking a no hitter into the eighth inning, five outs away on Monday against Texas? I was there. I was I've never seen a no hitter in person. I was I was hoping he'd get it then. It's nice to see Boone run him out there for the eighth, too. Right. I mean, in an era, in an era where we're very conscious of protecting starting pitchers or bullpens third time through the order. There's all sorts of things to talk about as far as that goes, but yes, it was nice to see Aaron Boone get some props. You know, I'm going to run this kid out there for the eighth and see just to, 
for the fans, for him as a reward. And obviously the minute he gave up the hit, he was out of the game. So you have Nestor Cortez Jr. with a 1.41 ERA so far. He's held opponents to a 177 batting average. And this is a decent segue to my next question here. Nestor Cortez at the moment with that 141 mark, third in the American League in ERA. Michael Kopech of the White Sox is leading the charge there in the American League, 0.93 ERA. He had a terrific game on Monday night, and he tied his career high reaching into the sixth inning. The, the White Sox went on to lose that game in brutal fashion to the Guardians, but the White Sox are a 500 team right now. They started off slow. They don't have Lance Lynn. They don't have Lucas Giolito at the moment. Michael Kopech has done a nice job keeping them above water as far as the rotation goes. You have Logan Gilbert, like David mentioned, second in the American League in ERA at 1.36. So Kopech, Gilbert, and Cortez. Which of these three pitchers do you think will be able to sustain this level of pitching here? Wow, yeah, and I, and I know I jumped the shark a little bit uh, in terms of talking about these guys. Um, to me, you know, you look at the background, you look at sample size, what's sustainable or not. You look at stuff. You know, you can rate each one of their pitches in terms of, uh, you know, who's got the best slider, who's got the best four-seamer. We, we can go down any rabbit hole you want and break this down. But for me, um, stuff matters. Michael Kopech has got probably the best stuff of the three. Uh, so if, if you're betting on a young power arm, it's, he's a pretty good bet. Uh, you, but you, you keep getting back to uh, – you know, what makes Logan Gilbert so good? There's some deception there, some great extension on his pitches, some life on his pitches. It seems to jump on the hitters. Sounds like Nestor Cortez too, right? Guy throws 92 miles an yeah. hour. Is he sustainable? Well, he's been doing it over almost over a year now. I guess it was the end of May of last year when he, he made his debut. And since that point, he's among the league leaders and he keeps, keeps on keeping on. So Nestor, you know, to me, the story is the, these pitchers, um, you really, it's a hard follow because they're all developing new pitches. Nestor with his cutter, uh, Walker Bueller with his cutter, all of a sudden is a cut fastball pitcher. It seems like start to start year to year, month to month, you really got to pay attention and revise the scouting reports because these guys are changing the little subtle nuances in the grips and the spin and the shape of pitches and the pitch design. Just remarkable. It's never been harder to hit in the big leagues than right now. I love that it just goes to show how there are a lot of different ways to be great. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask that question because all three bring something different to the table. Gilbert Cortez, more similar than Kopech. Like you mentioned, David Kopech with the, like the pure stuff that people have been raving about for years. And now it just seems like he's healthy enough taking the right steps forward and, and maturing more as a big league starter. But between Gilbert's deception, Cortez with the way he's able to make his fastball play up. I think a lot of it has to do with like consistent release points that he does so well. It's uh, interesting to think about which one of those guys is perhaps going to still be among the top three a month from now. You can kind of say, hey, you, you could see all of them in the same spot, but we know that's probably not going to happen. So the laws of averages, someone could be taking a step back. I'm just interested to see which one can sustain their success the most. So it's tough to pick there. It's a tough one. Let's go back to the Dodgers and the Angels here. And we kind of touched on it. This may not sound like a hard question on the surface, given that the Dodgers, they lead the league in ERA, batting average against, walks and hits 
per innings pitched as well. But if you are keeping tabs on what's happening over the first month here, which pitching staff are you more interested in right now, the Angels or the Dodgers? Uh, I guess just because you have Shohei Otani and he, you know, historically speaking, every time he takes the mound, it's a must watch because he's, he might do something spectacular like the game we referenced before at Fenway Park. So Noah Syndergaard coming back and becoming a viable pitcher again after everything he's been through, a legitimate number two behind uh, Otani. Um, Patrick Sandoval, you know, I'll give him a little love later in the show. Maybe the best young left-hander that you haven't heard of yet. He's off to a great start. Really, that started last year for him. So Rocio Iglesias is a closer, maybe the best closer you haven't heard of at the end of, of games. Uh, you're going to start hearing about him more couple off season. I mean, their, their bullpen to para Ryan to and Aaron loop have really solidified their bullpen a bit. So I'm interested in watching the angels. We know the Dodgers are great. We know they have power arms after power arm after power arm more in the minor leagues, ready to shuffle on up. So yes, once again, props to the Dodgers, but for me, I'm, my eyes on the angels right now. I'll go with the angels too, only because we all knew the Dodgers were going to be great. Uh, it, it is Fantastic to see Kershaw as great as ever, Bueller as advertised, of course, and even somebody like Tyler Anderson uh, coming in and, and pitching well uh, to start the season. But the Angels, we knew, you know, what are you going to get out of Otani coming off of the huge season you had? Noah Syndergaard, a question mark, uh, coming off of Tommy John, but he's looked really good through his first five starts. So it was a little, uh, it was a little unexpected to see uh, the Angels get out, get out of the gate so well here. And like Coney said, the, the bullpen additions, not just bringing back Iglesias, but uh, Oliver Ortega, another, uh, another revelation out, out of the pen and uh, a couple of uh, journeyman vets uh, that, that are uh, good names to see to para and loop shoring up the pen from the right and left side. And Tyler Anderson could be the best fifth starter in baseball at the moment. And it goes back to what we're all saying here. We're not saying that the angels pitching staff is better than the Dodgers right now. It's hard to stand behind a comment like that, but the Dodgers obviously top to bottom perhaps have the best pitching staff in all of baseball right now, though, we're saying which team seems more interesting, just the way the angels have been winning games over this first month or so. It's a team that hasn't had too much consistency in recent years. It's making them exciting to watch and you want to see how long they can keep this up and hopefully they can sustain it for the long haul here in 2022 and make the AL West a lot interesting over the course of 162. So we're not saying that the Angels pitching staff is better right now, but in this moment at the start of May, the first week, 10 days or so, it's a really interesting story in baseball and it can't be ignored just because the other team on the other side of town is doing what everyone expected them to do. Um, the, the Dodgers and the Yankees here, we, we talked about at the very top, they're probably owners of the two best pitching staffs top to bottom in the game right now. Both, though, are at the beginning of really taxing schedules. So the Dodgers have 31 games in 30 days, and the Yankees are in a stretch where they're playing 23 games over 22 days. David, what is the mindset of a starter or a relief pitcher when his team is in the middle of a very busy schedule like that. 
Well, right off the top, it's a starting rotation. You know more is going to be expected out of you. You should be ready for that. I, I, I think the Yankees, and stylistically speaking, <clears throat> they throw a lot of strikes. They really attack the strike zone. That's, that's the key to the success of really their, their entire pitching staff, but in particular the rotation. If you notice, uh, and I talked to Tanner Swanson over the last couple of days over this issue, watch the catchers setting up for the Yankees. They're setting up down the middle. There's not this moving from pitch to pitch from the first pitch on to the outside corner. Catcher moving to the outside corner, give it to me perfectly right on the outside corner or vice versa on the inside corner. Their catchers, Trevino and Higashioka, are setting up down the middle saying, let your natural movement take over, aim down the middle. It, your movement will run to the inside corner or cut to the outside corner. And, and that's our number one goal is just to be dominant in a strike zone, to establish it early and often. It's paid dividends. And especially when you think about maybe uh, maybe the ball's not, not going as far this year, home run rates are down, you know, the whole baseball controversy thing. It's a good strategy. It's really paying off for the Yankees to be uber aggressive, right in the strike zone from the first pitch, with the catcher setting up down the middle. We've been noting it during games, seeing how, how often Jordan Montgomery is throwing first pitch strikes, how often Tyone is throwing first pitch strikes, Cole attacking the zone. So, and it, it's interesting to see, to hear you talk about how the, uh, the change in, in how the catchers are setting up. And we've seen that in a couple, a couple of other teams around the league. I, I watching the Orioles a couple series this year, seeing that they are off to a similar uh, strategy with, with the catching now. Yeah, catching can't be overlooked here. Uh, the Yankees with that nice platoon so far looking really smart and adding a guy like Jose Trevino near the end of spring training. But when you are a pitcher whose team is going through that stretch, David, when you wake up every day, do you think about the games a little bit more? Do you think about the schedule a little extra? I think you do. Absolutely. Managers are going to manage a little differently. They're going to push their starters a little bit more, which is probably a good thing overall for the game. That's, that's kind of what people and the, a lot of fans have clamored about. You know, third time through the order, do we got to bring a reliever in every time? No, you don't. You know, and this is the time where you prove it. You're going to push these guys a, a little, a little more down the line. See if they can get through the order three times. And you know, it, it, as a starting pitcher, you definitely are aware of that before the game. It affects your mindset, especially early in the game. You want to be really aggressive. You're more inclined to try to maybe get some easy outs instead of miss every bat with every pitch. You know, hey, hey let me let me try to pitch to contact a little bit here. Let me trust my my defense. And on the Yankee side, their defense is much improved this year, so that's a good thing. Hit it to Kiner Falefa; he's pretty good. Or you know, or even Glaber at second base. His defensive metrics are are pretty good in the early returns here at back back at second base this year. So yeah. Hit me a nice little ground ball. Let me get some double plays here. And for the Yankees, uh, the story is, is they're turning more double plays than they're hitting into. And if you remember last year, Yankees, that, that was a, that was a role reversal where every big spot, it seemed like they hit a hard ground ball at them. And there's another double play on the offensive end. The added uh, the tax that you'll have on the rest of your staff, which is where we're going to see the depth. A lot of people have been lauding the, the Dodgers for their pitching depth for years, and rightfully so. We're going to start to see more of it during a stretch like this, whether it's the Dodgers, you mentioned the Yankees with their stretch. I thought it was cool to see the same five starters take their turn every time through to start the year. But now with the doubleheader, rainouts, 
going to have to squeeze in a sixth starter and eventually uh, a seventh and eighth like every other team. But coming into the week, only four teams had used five starting pitchers uh, this year. It was the Yankees, Royals, Cardinals, and Marlins. Everyone else has already started to, to use the sixth and seventh and eighth starters. The Rays have already had 10 this year. So we're already, we're already going to start to see the uh, reliance on pitching depth. Bottom line, the Dodgers have somehow exceeded expectations from everyone in the pitching department. They're just putting up insane numbers top to bottom. So it's going to be a fun experience, a great test to see how they come away after this stretch. And for the Yankees, they're answering the question whether or not their depth could hold up, whether or not the pieces they liked before the season are the real deal collectively. And this is going to be another test for them as well. So it'll be fun to see where both teams are at at the end of their respective stretches. One team after one month of play that I think has not met expectations at the moment, the Boston Red Sox guys, they're in last place right now in the American League East. They've lost five straight at the time that we're recording here. They're 10 and 19. They're behind the Baltimore Orioles in the American League East. And it's a combination of a lot of things. They've lost six straight series. Their their rotation is starting to get banged up a little bit. I think even at full strength, a lot of people had questions whether or not there was enough talent there, enough uh, enough talent that could stay healthy over the long haul. Michael Waka went on the IL, even though he was performing pretty well. Chris Sale's still out. The bullpen leads the majors with nine blown saves. They don't have an identifiable closer. That could be a part of the problem, but also... The offense has drastically underperformed, and maybe that could intertwine with their spotty bullpen. We know every team can kind of recover from slow starts at this point in the season. So how do the Boston Red Sox do that exactly? It's sort of the the old saying of, you know, you can't win the pennant in April, but you can lose it. (laughs) It looks like the Red Sox are kind of in that dangerous zone of – falling too far behind and trying to climb an uphill battle to get back into it, especially the Yanks off and running the Rays are the Rays. So they're in, they're in dangerous waters right now. Trevor story already getting booed at Fenway park, less than six weeks into his tenure. That's a little, that's a little disconcerting if you're, if you're a Red Sox fan. So yes, and nothing is more demoralizing than an unknown bullpen. When you do get leads, all of a sudden, you have a good offensive night and you turn it over to the bullpen and they're a little, uh, a little uncertain about themselves, or you don't know who the matchups are. You don't know what the pecking order is, or Alex Cora has got to figure it out on the fly and make adjustments on the fly with your bullpen. That's a recipe for disaster. That's a tough way to go about it. And entirely on the teams I've played on, when you get a few blown saves and you're going through a tough time and you're trying to get some momentum, nothing is more demoralizing than uh, when you give up leads late in the games. They, they got to start hitting that. That's how you, you they got to hit their way out of this. They can't, they're not the Dodgers. They're not the Yankees. They're not the, the, the Mets or the, the Astros who are off to a good start with their pitching staffs. They, they have an average staff right now, but their offense has been one of the five worst in the game, which is, uh, which is mind boggling considering how good they've been over the last several years, the park that they play in, they're bottom three in the majors in, in scoring runs. They have a 279 on base percentage through Monday's games. That is just not going to cut it. Hey, David, how real is the pressure on a bullpen 
based on offensive inefficiency because you know we're never going to hear that from a team publicly yeah i mean just piggybacking on what james said he's absolutely right so that you know when you do finally get a lead or maybe you do have a good offensive night after struggling as james pointed out with those numbers and then you blow a lead that's double trouble that's when that's just a real kick in the head when that happens to you because you're looking for momentum you know these guys are too good they're going to come out of it trevor story's going to start hitting the left side of their infield, I mean, offensively, Devers and Bogarts, wow, it's, it's, it's too good of hitters that you, you you know you think you could see from a third baseman and a shortstop, and um, all of a sudden, you know, wow, can can we hold this lead? Boy, that's just it. Just breeds kind of a you know a, a doubt. There, there's a doubt in everybody's minds there now, and then you're looking long term when you think, well, okay, they they signed Trevor Story, but Xander Bogarts turned down a contract extension. Rafael Devers turned down a contract extension. What's going on in that clubhouse? Is, is there something brewing there? Alex Gore has got a lot of work to do to kind of smooth everything over. What's the future look like there? Do people have, are people kind of looking, uh, you know, one, one foot out the door kind of a mentality there? What, what, what's the future going to happen are going to have, are going to, you know, what are we going to, what are we looking at at the trade deadline now on, on, on down the road here? Red Sox are Red Sox are uh, in a bad way right now, and as James said, you know they they need to bang. You know if they start hitting, then maybe that takes some pressure off of the pitching staff, off of the bullpen to to not be perfect when they do get a lead. So it remains to be seen. They're in trouble right now. Yeah, based on all the elements that you were listing, I think the world of Alex Cora as a manager, I really do. But just based on this start, if they're able to somehow right this ship based on everything that they've accomplished so far, this could possibly be Alex Cora's best piece of work if those things start to get turned around as, as a big league manager here. One other team that's in last place and has just had a brutal start to the season, the Reds. They're 6-23, dead last in the majors. And we saw from the great Peter Gammons that they are – open to discussing trading Luis Castillo, who just made his season debut this week, and Luke Maley as well. Guys, which team do you think, or I should say, what, which team's uniform would each guy look really good in? How about Luis Castillo? Now, you know, I would say that um, if the Angels keep playing well, and we talked about their pitchers, and we talked about Otani and Syndergaard and Sandoval, maybe if they get a little uh, sustained momentum moving on down the road, it might look kind of good in Angels uniform out there if they really believe in what's going on and what's brewing out there. I mean, he can fit in anywhere. Castillo's got that kind of arm. Anybody who needs a starter, you name it. But I don't know, it, something about the Angels and maybe if they want to bolster their rotation, he, he's a pretty good target for them out there. I was just starting to, I was just looking at the uh, starter ERA rankings early in the year and, and just working my way up, looking at, uh, looking to see, well, where are the, their contending teams, the Braves. And we know that they've, they've already made a big splash on the offensive side with, with Matt Olson. Can Atlanta shore up the rotation there with, uh, with, with one of these guys, whether it's Castillo or Tyler Molly. Yeah. I like that one. Um, that's a good, that's a good one there. Um, Something that has kind of taken hold of the narrative of the sport. One of the main storylines is 
how umpires are calling balls and strikes. And we've kind of had this throughout the last several years, but it's just coming to a head here after one month of the regular season. It's not like on a nightly basis that fans are kind of on a witch hunt to see which umpire behind the plate is the most insufficient with their balls and strikes. And Tom House, who is terrific. We love us some Tom House, right, David? Um, the best, yes. He, he had a great tweet. I thought it was really insightful. And Dan Rourke brought it to our attention. He said, the biggest change that Pitchcom could bring is the end of pitchers crossing up umpires. He suggested that if you put the earpiece in the umpire's ear so they know what's coming and it'll help umpires make better calls with more confidence. And it's it's the essence of Tom House, right? Hey, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it's so simple. But do you think that we would see improved umpiring on balls and strikes if they also wore the pitchcom technology and had an earpiece in? It really does make you think a little bit, right? And that's what Tom House is all about. He's always been all about that, making you think. He backs it up. He's one of the most uh, educated former pitchers in the big leagues that I've been around. Uh, he influenced my career back in the 80s from throwing a football. He recommended throwing a football to build up arm strength. It worked for me. I was in Puerto Rico playing catch with a football every day on the beach and playing winter ball, and all of a sudden, you know, I – my velocity kicked up. I started to get in better shape. So yeah, I mean, indirectly Tom house. And I, I don't think I've ever shaken his hand. I might've met him once just in passing. He, he impacted my career way back when thanks Tom <laughs> going, going uh, all the way back to 1985. But yes, it does make you think, you know, that for years, umpires, especially in the nineties, when the strike zone was more East and West umpires used to follow the catcher. Are you setting up in, are you setting up out? They would anticipate the flow. So in a sense, that was kind of what they were doing back then. And if you if you threw a pitch that was supposed to be on the inside corner and you hit the outside corner, you wouldn't get the call, even if it was in the strike zone, because umpires were following the catcher. Hit the target. We will reward you. So it makes you think, yeah, maybe a pitch com, if they did know what pitch was coming, maybe uh, they could anticipate the flow, read the pitch a little better. It's, it's something to think about because I'm not sure – that Major League Baseball is ready to go full Monty on the automated strike zone, on robo-arms, as we say. There's a lot of discussion about, are we ready to do that on the Major League Baseball side, the, on the ownership side, management side? And I think they're toying with maybe a hybrid model where you have a challenge system for really egregious ball strikes calls that are, that are way out of even the buffer zone. As the umpires, what we see on TV, the box, the strike zone box, Widen that out a little bit. That's how the umpires are graded. They actually have a buffer zone that's outside of the box that they're actually graded on. So, uh, yeah, maybe uh, what, what's the answer? Yeah, maybe that is something to think about. It's interesting, Shaq. You know, uh, put the earpiece in the umpire's uh, uh, ear and, and see, see how that works. I love it. And it's something that, you know, I never really would have thought of, but Tom House always has a way of, of introducing an idea that, like you said, Justin, oh, why didn't I think of that? Huh, that makes sense. Well, and I, they're experimenting in so many other ways around the game with rule changes and all these other kinds of things and the majors, the minors. Give it a shot. See how it goes. Yeah. Do you have the experimental leagues that are testing different rules that may or may not even close, uh, may not be uh, coming close to sniffing the major leagues? I think this is one that should be implemented ASAP. So thank you, Tom House, for that. And again, for uh, indirectly making us all maybe feel uh, slightly dumber because it seems so simple. Um, and, and, and here we are.
just an earpiece to simplify things for, for the umpires, not, not take over or, you know, not have them, you know, not have it dictate the game any other way, not change what they're doing, but it's uh, it could be an aid. And that's what pitchcom is right off the bat for the, for the battery mates between the pitchers and the catchers. So I think it would be a, a good aid for the umpires. All right, James, this week in pitching history, what do you have for us? Okay. Well, we're going to the Appalachian league. We're going down to the minors. 70 years ago, Friday, May 13th, 1952, 19-year-old Ron Nechai of the Bristol Twins pitches a 27-strikeout no-hitter against the Welch Miners. He didn't get a K for every out, though, because there was a ground out in the second inning with a drop third strike in a four-strikeout ninth inning. Nechai made it to the majors in August that season, but and he got into 12 games with the Pirates in the major leagues, but... His career was derailed by injuries and illness, and he never pitched in the bigs again, and he retired at just 22. Branch Rickey, probably scouted more pitchers than anybody who's ever lived, said he was the greatest all-around pitcher I ever saw. And Nechai said, there are has-beens and never was's. I'm a might-have-been, but I lived a lifetime in one night. <laughs> you know you know, what stood out to me with that, about the strikeouts that weren't, all tallied up because of that drop third strike. And we were just talking about some rule changes guys. There is a rule in the Atlantic league going on right now where you could take first base on any dropped pitch. It doesn't have to be strike three. And I know this because I was calling us a Staten Island ferry Hawk game with, with John Flaherty the other week. And that was one of the rules that really stood out to me. The Atlantic League's an experimental league. I'm not trying to kind of shy away from, from this week in pitching history, but that is a very interesting rule. What do you think about, as, a, as from a pitcher's perspective, alone, David, drop pitch, doesn't have to be strike three. What do you think of that from the pitcher's perspective? Why am I getting penalized? I'm yeah. the pitcher. I threw a good pitch. I made him swing and miss. And that, yeah, wait a minute. I'm, I'm getting penalized for this. So I, yeah, I, I am a, I'm, I'm a growth uh, oriented. I always have a growth oriented mindset. I try to keep an open mind on these sorts of things. Um, if it gives a little more action and interest to the fans and I'm, I'm willing to try to experiment, but I, my own internal bias as a pitcher kind of makes me shy away from that. Yeah. It was, it was, it was uh, yeah, I did my job. Wait a minute. Wait a minute here. Why, why me? You know, it's the woe is me kind of a mentality is, is with my own bias. I'm, I like to think I have an open mind on a lot of these new ideas. I hate this. Mm -hmm. I, it's an experiment, see what happens, but I would hate to see this in the major leagues guys just darting off on any pitch. A guy walks up first pitch. You can just run to first base. And while we're at it, I'm not even a big fan of the existing rule where a drop third strike can make the batter reach it. Coney, like you said, you threw a great pitch that made the batter, you know, miss. If you're, if you're in, in playing hoops, a guy in the NBA uh, crosses somebody up and makes him fall down and, and hits a three. What he, he had made a move that was so good that it doesn't count now. Maybe for the Savannah bananas. Have you ever seen, have you seen the Savannah <laughs> bananas team? They sure have. They're, they're yeah. fun to watch. If a, if a foul ball goes in the stands and a, and a fan catches it, he's out, you know, those that, that put it, put it in that basket of, of rules, you know, and maybe try it down for the Savannah bananas, which are a lot of fun. Love them. Whole different 
whole different way of, uh, of viewing a baseball game. So if you haven't, if you haven't heard of the Savannah bananas, look them up. They're, they're pretty fun. Yeah. Right on the surface, this feels like a rule that should be part of the Savannah bananas playing style. I, I don't think it should even be experimented right now. It should be taken off the table immediately and not even thinking about from the pitcher's perspective, David, you think about from the hitter's perspective, guys in the big leagues right now, if it's even close, if a hit by pitch is even close where it's questionable and you may need a second look at it, they are contesting that. No, that didn't hit me. I'm going to stay in the batter's box and continue my at bat. The, the ability to have the presence of mind to not only think about darting to first base on a drop pitch, but for that to be the way that your at bat abruptly ends, I don't think any hitter would be on board for that. They want to stay in the box. They want to record a hit. I think you may be credited with a hit even on this rule, but I still don't think that would be a natural incentive for a hitter to say, man, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I still feel like I'm wasting an at bat here. I don't want to just lose an at bat. So I think it'd be really tough for both the pitcher, but especially the hitter to kind of just concede, Oh, okay. Like this is my opportunity to work with a little ga extra gamesmanship here and, and take my base. It, it's, it's tough to see. So I don't think that it's a rule that should even be experimented at this point. Uh, a little cute, definitely Savannah banana E, but uh, shouldn't be experimented to, to this length here. Uh, three up, three down guys. Each of us gives some love to a pitcher, maybe a pitching staff, something that we should watch for over the next week or so, or the, the week that just passed, something that just people should be paying more attention to each and every week on three up, three down. James, what do you have? Well, I'll lead us off. We spent some time in Anaheim on this episode. We'll go there for Wednesday night. Rays Angels, you brought up the, the, the good series that they have going on. Shohei Otani against Shane McClanahan. These two guys are one and two. Otani McClanahan in the American League in strikeout rate with a minimum of 20 innings this season. Two guys off to great starts. A phenomenal pitching matchup. Two good teams. Sign me up for Wednesday night. Yeah, I'm, thank you. Thanks for reminding me. That is one heck of a pitching matchup. And I guess this is kind of a, you know, a West Coast themed show here because I'm going to throw some love out, out for the Angels, too, and an underrated starter, Patrick Sandoval. We mentioned him earlier in the show, and 25-year-old left-hander. He kind of gets lost in the shuffle with Otani and now Syndergaard and all the stars out there, Mike Trout. You don't hear much about Patrick Sandoval. And kind of had a breakout year last year, had a 3.62 ERA, 14 games started, a couple out of, out of the bullpen, too. But this year, he's got a 2.03 ERA. His FIP, his fielder independent pitching, kind of backs that up, a 2.41 FIP. Uh, this guy's got an unbelievable changeup. The batting average against his changeup this year, they're still waiting for one. Nobody's gotten a hit off of it. It's zero off of his changeup this year. So uh, you talk about a, a good finish pitch, a quality changeup, a good fastball. The kid just seems to be growing and getting better and more confident, and the Angels need him. As I said, you know, the number three starter fits nicely right in that Angels rotation that suddenly uh, the hinge of something going on out there. Patrick Sandoval is a guy to watch. A young lefty, 25 years old, off to a great start. Sandoval really turned heads last year, July 24th uh, in Minnesota. He came up two outs short of a no hitter, but he still 
had a, an incredible game with 13 strikeouts. I think that might have been uh, putting him on the radar screen and good to see that he's he's following up a, a solid season with with a good start here. Guys, I am staying out West as well. And looking at the National League West, if you take a look at the standings right now, every team in the NL West is above 500. And we knew that the Dodgers and the Padres, Giants as well, that, that they would be competitive. Carlos Rodon looks terrific for San Francisco and his new team. The Padres depth looks solid. Dodgers top to bottom, like we said, terrific. The Diamondbacks have won eight of their last 10 games at the time we're recording this. Uh, the Rockies are 16 and 13 right now. And for Colorado, Chad Cool has a 0.84 whip. He's been a really nice story after leaving the Pirates, becoming a big part of the Colorado rotation. Their bullpen is one of the league leaders in saves. Daniel Bard has nine saves already for the Colorado Rockies. The Diamondbacks have the third lowest ERA as a team in the National League. Merrill Kelly, 1.22 mark. Madison Bumgarner, one and a half mark through six starts. I was wondering earlier in the season, after two or three starts, you know, when we were talking about, oh, what do you make after this really small sample size? It was I wanted to bring up Madison Bumgarner, but the peripherals, they didn't look too shiny for Madison Bumgarner, so it was going to wait. Now, kind of want to yell it off, you know, the top of a mountain here for the D-backs. Madison Bumgarner looks terrific through six starts. Zach Gallen with an ERA under one in just over 28 innings. I think he's always had high expectations. He's trying to stay healthy. He's looking terrific. So I'd love to see all these pitchers kind of continue to shine and make the NL West just uh, combust a little bit through the course of 162 games. I highly doubt that happens, but I think they deserve praise for this first month of the season. Where do you think the NL West would be say a month from now, if the D-backs are above 500 at 500, same story for the Rockies. What, what will it mean for this division as a whole? Because I think those other three teams, especially the Dodgers and, and probably the Padres, they were thinking that, oh, man, that, that's, that's good hitting right there between Colorado and Arizona. What do you think? It's a great point. You know, we're, we keep talking about competitive balance and the haves and the have-nots, and it's, it's a legitimate question. We don't have a, you know, we came out of the lockout. We don't have a salary floor. You know, I talked to Tony Clark about that at the end of the, the lockout. And he said, that wasn't on us. We were willing to talk about a salary floor. You, you're seeing teams like the Reds kind of really struggle after gutting their roster. Really refreshing to see what's going on in the, in the National League West. I'm glad you spotlighted that, Shaq. And it's, is it, can you believe it? I mean, it really does change the dynamic for the Dodgers. In what they're doing in the National League West, they're going to be challenged. There's no easy wins out there. There's no give me's. There's no, you know, uh, rummage sales that you know that we've seen from the Baltimore Orioles over the last few years. You know, they kind of decided the American League East last year. Who beat up on the Orioles the best was really the story. The Yankees didn't win enough games against the Orioles. That that's not a that's not a storyline I like to talk about. I like to talk about just earning it, winning it. Mm -hmm. Teams trying to win. You know, it, it, we're getting better, but. There's, there's, there's still a ways to go when you see uh, what's happening with Cincinnati. Uh, it's really refreshing to see what's going on in the NL West, though. You hope it, I hope it's sustainable. I hope it keeps going. Right, and I think the biggest impact would be in the National League wildcard races because whoever, if they can hang around the race, even if the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants are a cut above, 
that could hurt if whoever doesn't win the division could be harmed in, in a bid for a wild card spot because they're not being able to pick off easy wins against Colorado and Arizona. And you look at the D-backs, that, that's the, that's gotta be the Brent Strom effect right away. Huh? It's a great story. You know, I mean, he, he, um, he I, when you think about what he did with Houston, you think about his career, the trajectory in a game of young analyst kids getting hired right out of college, biomechanics majors, Matt Blake with the Yankees, a prime example of that. That Brett Strom, the old school guy, still uh, has something to offer because he does understand the new school. He educated himself, but yet he still has that balance between both. Um, being able to counsel as kind of a grandfatherly figure, but yet still understanding everything about the new terminology. He is a remarkable pitching coach. The D-back specifically, kind of an encouraging sign of a team that may be growing collectively because they didn't get off to a really hot start here. They've won eight of their last 10, and they're only two games above 500. So it's not like they're, they kind of folded. They had a brutal stretch last year that kind of just did them in from the early portion of the season. So it's kind of nice to see that they're able to bounce back from a sluggish start and go on this run. And yeah, every team in the NL West at the moment, at least above 500, I don't think despite it just being a month into the season, too many people had that prediction at the outset of, uh, of 2022. Guys, that's going to do it for us this week. Big thanks, as always, to our fantastic producer, the great Dan Wark. New episodes of the show drop each and every Tuesday. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the best way that you can show your support to the show. Tone of the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, is a production of John Boy Media. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Take care.